starting a new series today called Making an Appearance. And uh, basically, the, the premise behind this is that, you know, after Easter, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus last Sunday, which, by the way, was an incredible Sunday. I hope, I hope you were able to be here. If you weren't able to be here because you were out of town or something, I'd encourage you to watch it online. It was a beautiful service. And uh, we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which we were very excited about. But, you know, we celebrate that every day. As the church, as Christians, we celebrate what he's done all the time. And so, uh, going for the rest of this month, actually, just these next three weeks in April, we're going to be talking about how Jesus made appearances uh, during his time between his resurrection and when he actually ascended back to heaven. The, the scriptures tell us that he was on earth for 40 days, and he made appearances to many different people over those, over those days. And we're just going to talk about um, some of these appearances and, and what that shows us about the character of God and ultimately what it means for our life, too, and how it impacts us. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're going to kick it off today. In fact, when I, before I get into my text verse, I want to give you a little bit of context for my verse. Um, it's going to be out of John 21. And this is where the disciples had, were out on the water fishing. And uh, Jesus tells them to cast their net on the other side. Jesus comes to the shore and sees them struggling out in the water. And he says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And so they do it, and they get this huge catch of fish. And they knew right away that it was Jesus. They just knew it was him. Even though they were 100 yards from shore, they knew it was Jesus. And so they turned the boat to go to shore. And Peter, God love him, he didn't even wait. He jumped in the water and swam to shore. And they get to shore, and Jesus, sure enough, was there, and he had cooked some fish and some bread. And they, he said, come in, let's, let's eat together. So they have this meal together on the shore. This is, was the third time that the Bible says Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he had risen from the dead. So, uh, so we're going to pick up the, the text verse in John 21, verse 15. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's word together. Just in honor of reading his word, uh, we, we stand for the flag. We can stand for the word of God too. Amen? Amen. Amen. John 21, verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The title of my message today is the, the namesake for our series. It's called Making an Appearance. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we do love you and we thank you for our time together, God. We pray that you and you alone would be glorified in our midst during these next few moments. God, do your work in our hearts as only you can do by your spirit and for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So, we would probably all agree on some level that life is about seasons, right? Some seasons are better than others. There's some seasons of life that we don't want to end because they're so great. And there's some seasons of life we cannot wait for them to end. They can't end soon enough. But the reality is life is about seasons. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by, written by the wisest man to ever walk the earth, King Solomon. The Bible says there was never anyone wiser and there never will be. And uh, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he, in the famous chapter, third chapter of Ecclesiastes, he talks about how there's a time for everything under heaven. 
Uh, in fact, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And he goes on to say there's a time to live, there's a time to die, there's a time to weep, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance, a time to build up, a time to tear down for war and peace, and on and on and on and on it goes. And he talks about how there's just all these seasons in life, and they, they cover both ends of the spectrum. And it's very, very true that that's how life is for us. And we, if we live long enough, we know that we will experience all of these things in our life. And so what I've done today to kind of get us started on this series is I, I created a pie chart that they're going to put up on the screen that shows the seasons of life. And this is my own data. This is my own estimations, I should say. This is not a scientific chart that has been done by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it'll give us a good idea of what uh, what seasons of life look like. And you'll see on there that it shows five different types of seasons. You have the peaks, you have the ups and downs, you have the trauma and the ordinary. The, this is obviously not all-encompassing, but it does give us an idea of the types of seasons we live in. And I kind of, the, the size of the piece of pie is kind of determined by how much time of our life is actually spent in these seasons. And if you start with the peaks, these are, you know, it's a small piece of the pie and it's pretty rare for the peaks in our life because they're, they're pretty epic moments. They're the really big moments. This could be your wedding day. This is the, the day that your children are born. It's the day you graduate from high school or college. It's, it's these huge epic moments that are just obviously top of the mountain moments. And then you move to the next one and it's the ups in life. That's the purple one. And it's, it's the, that's a bigger piece of the pie. There's, there's more ups in life than there are peaks because those are so epic, it, but it is, it's out of the norm. It's, it's where things are ex, extra good for us. Um, I just put down a few things that I thought of was like a vacation could be considered a, a time of being up. I mean, hopefully, hopefully you enjoy your vacation and it's a, a special time for you. Um, getting a raise at work and the aftermath of that. Uh, buying a new house, having a new relationship that's really exciting and fresh and new um, in your life. Um, church, being a church should be a highlight. It should be a good time. I mean, it's, you know, if your church is alive and active, it should be a, a time where it's better than just the, the average time that you live in. Okay, and then the next piece is the ordinary, which is obviously the biggest piece of the pie by far. This is the day-to-day. -day. This is the everyday. This is the somewhat mundane at times in life. Um, this is you getting up in the morning, getting dressed, going to school or to work, and then coming home and hanging out a little bit, eating some food, going to bed, getting up the next day and doing it all over again. That is just the, the status quo, the ordinary day that we deal with in our life so often um, that makes up the bulk of our life. And then the next one is the downs. You have ups, you're going to have downs. And the, the pie slice is similar in size between those two. Um, it's going to be comparable to that. This is where, you know, it's, it's not traumatic, but it's also not really good. Um, this could be the, the loss of a job or a, a sickness that keeps kind of lingering in your life or uh, the loss of a, of a relationship that, uh, that you have enjoyed and wanted to keep on. Um, if you're parents of teenagers, it would be the whole teenage years for your kids. <laughs> just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. It actually belongs in the trauma slice. Uh, <laughs> um, but these are, the, these are the down times in life that, that we would trade off if we could, but they're not necessarily traumatic. And then obviously, lastly, we have a small slice of the pie that's the trauma in life that, that we deal with, the things that are epically difficult in our life that we deal with, like abuse, uh, divorce, um, and, uh, a, uh, a, a terminal sickness that we might have to deal with in life, or the premature death of a loved one in life, the trauma, the things we would definitely consider trauma in life. And, so you see with these five pieces of the pie, this is probably a fairly accurate depiction of most of our lives. I know for some of us we have 
Some people have more trauma than others. Some people have more, more peaks than others. But for the most part, this, can, this characterizes the human life, the ordinary life that we live uh, on this earth. And we kind of understand it. You know, we, 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 you see that the ordinary is by far the biggest. And, you know, we probably would prefer that the, the peaks and those up times were more. But the reality is the fact that the ordinary is such a big part of the pie, it makes those epic moments so much better. Because anything that we get a lot of becomes, when it becomes saturated, it becomes ordinary. That's what makes it ordinary because there's just so much of it in life. I, I thought about Christmas when I was preparing this and I thought, you know, there's such an anticipation in Christmas for most people where it's, you know, you're going to have Christmas parties, you're going to be with friends and family, you're going to eat a lot of good food, and it's just going to be a lot of fun, and it's so good. But how many of you know by January 1st, you are done with Christmas, and you just cannot wait for the blue. You can't wait for some mundane to get away from all of the excitement because anything, too much of anything, just becomes ordinary in our life. But here's the thing. Did you know that you also go through seasons in your faith? Your faith has seasons too. I know that's something that many of us don't want to say out loud because, you know, we've, we've believed the lie that is a, in your faith. It's just going to constantly be in the red. It's going to be that epic peak moments all the time. You're just going to go from mountain to mountain. You're going to go from glory to glory, and everything's just great. But the reality is if you've lived in this faith life long enough, you know that the pie chart for the faith looks very similar to the one for the seasons of life. In fact, I'll have them put that up now. And this pie chart shows the seasons of faith, and if you'll notice, the only difference is the title. That's the only difference between these two pie charts, because seasons of faith also have ups and downs. It also has ordinary, and it also has peaks and there's trauma, even in our faith. Just like you can be physically or emotionally abused by someone in life, you can also be spiritually abused by someone in life. It's very common for people to go through uh, spiritual trauma in their life. Some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it can be just because you had an expectation of God to do something in your life that you just felt like he had to do it, and he didn't do it the way you wanted. And in fact, it turned out the exact opposite of what you were believing for. That can bring trauma in your life spiritually. I think of the disciples at this time, the, the context of my text verse there, they were, they were sitting around, they, were, they did not, could not understand what had been happening because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, it says that Jesus asked Peter, he said, who do you say I am? Peter said, no doubt, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. He knew who he was and he believed it with all of his heart. The problem was he believed that the Messiah was supposed to be something different than what he was. Many people, many of the Jews believed that the Messiah was the guy that was going to come and kick Rome out of Israel, and they were going to have Israel again, and they were going to establish their kingdom on earth because their minds were shut to what the, real, what the Messiah was actually designed to do, which is exactly what Jesus did, which was to come and die for the sins of the world. And so they were traumatized in their faith because their Savior, their Messiah, the one that was going to save them, actually died. So there's, there's definitely trauma in our lives, even in our faith. And I made this chart so that we could get a sense of why we are or why we are not looking for Jesus to make an appearance in our life. Because see, if you're in your faith or even in your life, and you're in a season of peaks, or you're in a season of ups, and things are just going really good for you, chances are you might not be desperate for Jesus to make an appearance in your life, a special appearance. But when you're in that place of trauma, or if you're just down, or even sometimes just in the ordinary part of life, we're much more eager to see him show up in a special way in our life. And so I've, I did this chart because I want you to be thinking about it. I want you to kind of reflect on it yourself as we go through our time together this morning or this afternoon 
about what it looks like for you and, and, and where you are in your faith and wanting Jesus to make an appearance. Because I can tell you today that Jesus still is in the business of making appearances. Now, I'm going to explain a little more what that means in just a second, but I first want to ask you a question. Are you longing for him to make an appearance in your life? Are you desperate for him to show up in a special way in your life and in a situation in your life? Maybe you are in a season of trauma. Maybe you are in a season of being down, or maybe you're just in a season of the dull, mundane, ordinary, and you're desperate for him to show himself to you because you just really need it. You know that that's where Peter was. You know, Peter was as down as a man could be. He, he messed up big time. He denied Jesus three times just days earlier after saying, Jesus, if everybody else rejects you, I won't do it. And he did it. So he was down. He felt like a failure. He might have even been struggling with feeling like it was his fault. Who knows what he was feeling, but we know he was down. And when Jesus made an appearance on that shore, Peter didn't wait for the boat to get there. He jumped in the water. He lost all of his dignity and jumped in and swam to Jesus because he was desperate for that appearance that Jesus made in his life. And it's just so interesting for us because, because so much of our life is lived in the ordinary. That blue piece of that pie was huge. So much of life is in that ordinary. And the danger of that for us, because we live so much in that, the danger is for us to get lulled to sleep even in our faith. To just be kind of content. We're not really content, but we're also not desperate. We're des you're definitely not desperate enough to do anything to really believe for anything or to be eager or to, or to uh, anticipate him making an appearance because we've just been kind of lulled to sleep. We're just kind of going through the motions sometimes we can get to in our faith where you can get to a point where you're not even sure exactly why you're doing what you're doing. It's just kind of what you've always done. And God forbid, church, that we would ever get to that place in our faith. Or I should say, God forbid that we would stay in that place in our faith. I think we all have the potential to get to that place but to not stay there and just go through the motions and do what we're doing because this is just how I've always done it. But to understand and realize and, and eagerly desire to see Jesus face to face, to see him in a way that's special, a way that's not just in the ordinary, where it's, where it's these moments of the manifest presence of Jesus that goes above and beyond the ordinary in our life. Because I know you can think, well, what do you mean by him making an appearance? I mean, the Bible's clear that you know, he says he'll never leave us, never forsake us. So he's always with us. When we invite him in, the Bible tells us that he comes and he lives in our heart. That's why we tell kids, like, is Jesus in your heart? Because that's what the Bible says. He lives in us and he never leaves us. So he's always there. So what do we mean when we say make an appearance? What I'm talking about is those moments where it's just different, where the manifest presence of God is evident in your life in a moment or in a season. Where you, just can, where you just know that it's just not an ordinary day. This isn't just an ordinary church service, or this just isn't an ordinary quiet time that I'm having, or an ordinary uh, song that I'm listening to, but you actually sense something different in that moment where it was one way and now it's another. And there's many ways that God speaks to us. In a way, this is about hearing the voice of God in your life where you know that you have heard God and eagerly desiring that he would speak to us. You know, God, you know, guys, God still speaks. He speaks all the time. Now, we don't hear him with these ears. We don't see him with these eyes. We don't touch him with these fingers. We see him in faith, and we hear him in our spirit. We hear him because he quickens something inside of us, and we just know that it's him. One of the best ways we hear from him is just simply through his word. 
through the Word of God. This Word is, this is the Logos Word. This is the written Word of God. I believe wholeheartedly with many other Christians that this is the inerrant, flawless, inspired Word of God and that every word of it is true. And that it is His Word for us. It is His manual for us to live our life for Him. Now, well, you can read this one day, and every time you read it, we know the Bible tells us that it's feeding us. We're being nourished by it. Whether we feel different or not, we're being nourished. But there's times that you read it, and the Logos word becomes the Rhema word, which means that it becomes an utterance inside of you, that it's, it's like it's literally for you. And you've, you've maybe you've read this a dozen times, but all of a sudden you read it this 13th time, and something just jumps out at you, and it hits you like a ton of bricks. And you wonder, how did I not see that before? Because I know I've read this. But it's because Jesus is making an appearance in your time of reading his word. I will never forget, I was probably about 22 years old, somewhere in there. And I remember reading the Bible. And I've been serving Jesus for about three years. And like a good boy, I was trying to read my Bible every day. And I, would, I was reading through it. I'd read through it a couple times already. And, and I've read, I loved Romans, so I would read Romans. But I realized I didn't really understand Romans later because what I loved about it didn't even make much sense. But hey, God's good. Amen. And so uh, this was one of those times I was reading through Romans, and I got to Romans 8. In the first chapter, or the first verse of Romans 8, it says that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, because through Jesus, the law of life has replaced the law of sin and death. So I am living in the law of life because of what Jesus did for me and not the law of sin and death, that that sin and death has been defeated. I had read this many times in the past, but in this moment, I was laying in a bunk bed when I read it, and it hit me like a freight train. And I realized for the first time in my life, I really don't have to be condemned. I'm really not condemned. I'm not subject to the law of sin and death. I'm actually now subject to the law of Jesus, which is the law of grace and mercy in my life. And it was so unbelievably freeing in my life, and it was where Jesus showed up and made an appearance in my life in a powerful way. And it changed me. It transformed me. It put me, it changed the, the direction even of my life because I knew that what I'd thought about, about Romans and about grace before was wrong. And it changed everything. And so the, the Logos word is one way that God makes an appearance in our life. He could also impress something on your heart where you could just have a thought that comes into your mind that you just know is from God. That's happened to me plenty of times. I'm sure it's happened to some of you too. Where you're, you know, they, they say that um, you have anywhere from 60,000 to 80 or 90,000 thoughts every day that your brain uh, processes every single day. That makes me tired to even think about that, but that's what it does. But when you have that one thought that is from God, it's completely different than all the rest. And it is powerful. I, I, I remember where I was standing, I remember the weather, I remember, I don't remember what I was wearing because that would be impossible. But I remember exactly where I was when the thought came into my mind that I was going to be pastoring this church. And it was so out of left field. I had never even thought about it. It was something that was never even talked about, never discussed. I didn't even want it. I wasn't pining for it. And God spoke to my heart. I felt it in, inside and I knew it as sure as I knew anything in my life that that was from God. And it changed everything for me. And it was a word that I had to stand on for, for years because there was times it did not look like it was going to happen. But I believed that I heard from God, and here I am today. And it was because he made an appearance in my thought life. And that is powerful when he does that. 
when, he, when we give him control of our mind and, let, and have the mind of Christ and let him speak to us. It's also, it can come from another person where someone says something to you and it just clicks, it resonates with you and you just know that was a word from God. That was a word of the Lord to me and somebody could have said that exact same thing to you a week earlier, usually a spouse, and you didn't listen. <laughs> but, a, but a total stranger comes up to you and says it, it's the word of God. No, I'm just kidding. But, but there's times that somebody will say something to you that's just different. And you know that the Lord is using them and he's speaking through them into your life. That, he, that person is his mouthpiece in that moment. And they don't have to be more spiritual than you. They don't have to be you know, pastors or ministers or evangelists or a prophet. It could just be somebody that just speaks something and you just know that that's from God. He made an appearance in your life. There's so many other ways. He speaks to you through a sermon. He can speak to you through a song, through a church service, through driving down the road in your car. He can sleep, speak to you in a dream. All kinds of ways that God can make an appearance, a special appearance in your life. And I remember those times for me because it helped sustain me in the times when, it was, when I was in the ordinary or when I was in the trauma or when I was in the down times. The reason, one of the reasons the Lord shows up in moments in our life is because we would need to hang on to those things when we have times where we feel like, man, I can't hear anything from God. See, that's something else we don't like to say. Well, I can't hear, I haven't heard anything from God in a while. We don't wanna say that because that makes it sound like, well, you must not be spiritual. So we'll make up something like, oh yeah, God spoke to me and told me that you know, the sunrise was for me today. <laughs> just something, just so I can feel like I'm spiritual and God spoke to me. I saw his face in the cloud in the sky and he said, that was for me. He showed me a portrait of himself. But the reality is we go through seasons where we don't really hear from God. We don't hear that, that we don't get that special appearance. Just like Jesus, well, he would make appearances but he didn't stick around, he actually would move on and go to other things. And eventually he went to heaven. Right? But it was those special appearances that he makes that can really have a, a strong impact in our life and make an incredible impact in our faith. And we desperately need to be alert and eagerly desire his appearing. Because church, I have no doubt in my mind, I have zero doubt in my mind that we can miss his appearing in our life. You and I can miss it. There's this this notion that, well, if Jesus wants to make an appearance to me, I, you know, no matter what I'm doing, I'm sure I'll see it. I'll know it. It'll just be one of those times that I just, oh my goodness, he's just going to overwhelm me. And, you know, there's going to be a beam, of, a beam of light coming to the room and he's going to be standing there. or He's just going to like, I'm going to literally hear his voice in my head or it's going to be something just so epic. And if God wants to speak to me, I'm not going to be able to miss it. Baloney. Baloney. You can absolutely miss his appearing in your life. It happens every day. Happens all the time. I know that I've missed his appearing in my life. You know, one of the reasons I know you can miss it is because the biggest way he speaks to us is right here. And if church statistics are true, the church is not reading their Bible. The church is relying on the pastor to read his Bible and tell them about it. And then the church sits there and Googles what the pastor says to make sure it's right. That's <laughs> what happens. I'm telling you, that's what they tell us now. They're like, you better know what you're saying, pastor, because they're going to sit there and Google it. Rather than knowing it for themselves, they just check up on the pastor. And so the church is not reading their Bible. The biggest way that God speaks to us is through his word. So if we're not reading his word, how's he speaking to us? He can't speak to you something. He can't illuminate something out of the word, make it jump off the pages and become rhema to you if it's closed. I can, I can stare at a pizza all day. It's not going to fill my belly if I don't eat it. It can be sitting right in front of me. The word can be sitting on your table. It can, you can have three Bible apps on your phone. If you never open them or read them, you're not getting that nourishment. You're not getting that appearance that God wants to make. And don't think that, well, Jesus knows I don't read my Bible, so he'll appear to me in a different way. No, 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 no. 
No, he, he's, he wants to appear to us the way he wants to do it. He wants to speak to us the way he wants to do it. And I'm telling you, there is no better way. This is why people flock to these prophetic conferences. And when you feel that when there's someone that has the gift of being able to give prophetic messages or read your mail or say something to you, people just go in droves to these things or to the Asbury revival where you know, the Lord is moving. People go in droves to those things because they so desperately want to hear from God. They so desperately want to experience God. But I'm telling you, church, it's right here. It's right here in your word. It's right here in this Bible. Now, I'm not saying every time I open it that I'm just like, oh, oh, it's just blown away. And man, I just, I can't, I can't eat, I can't sleep because all I can do is read my Bible. Okay? It's not what I'm saying to you. There's plenty of times that when I read my Bible, it's part of that blue slice of pie. And it feels kind of ordinary. I can say that because I love Jesus with all my heart. And he knows my heart. But that's the truth of it. Part of the reason some of us don't like to read it is because we bought the lie that, well, you know what, there's times I read it and I don't even really understand what I read, so I guess I don't need to read it. There's times I read it and I don't understand it. I have lots of places in my Bible where I put big question marks. And I look at commentaries and I see guys that are doing commentary saying, yeah, we don't really get this. You know, that's okay. But we need to be in it. If we're going to really see him make an appearance in our life, we got to know when it's him. Otherwise, you could hear something that you think is from God, but it's actually a lie from the devil, but you don't know it because you don't know the truth. So if you want him to make an appearance, you've got to know the word, because when he makes an appearance, we can recognize it and things change. Church, things change when he shows up. Sometimes our circumstances change when he shows up. Sometimes it's just our perspective that changes when he shows up. Sometimes our mission changes when he shows up. He could change the complete direction of our life when he shows up. Our status changes when he shows up. When he showed up for Peter, Peter's status changed. He was ashamed. He was an outcast because of him denying Jesus. When Jesus showed up, he was restored. That's what Jesus does. He changes things when he comes into our situations. And for you, you might be hearing, you know, well, Jesus making an appearance in my life actually isn't something that excites me. It actually scares me. Because if you're not really living right, you don't want him to make an appearance. There's areas, you know, you might want him to come into a certain situation, like, oh, my mom's got cancer. I really want him to come into that. But I don't want you to come over here in my relationship because if, if, you, if you come into what I'm doing in my relationship, I know you won't like it. So I don't want you in this because I'm really not willing to change. So I don't want you to be part of that. I don't want you to be part of my search history on my phone or my computer because I don't want you to, to convict me or, or do anything to change any of this. I'm not ready for that. We just compartmentalize where we want him to make appearances in our life. But he says, actually, the places that you don't want him, the places that you have the struggles, that's where he wants to come. That's where he wants to shine his light. That's where he wants to expose the darkness in your life, not to expose you, but to set you free. Because the spirit of life is what sets you free. The spirit of sin and death is what kills you. And so his desire for us is that he would be able to set us free. And when he shows up, we get a sense of how holy he really is and how unholy we really are. And so that can be a scary thing if you're not living for him, if you're not living right. The beauty of it is to live for him is really just a, just a decision you make. It's not like you have to meet this quota. You just decide you're going to give your life to him. That you're, if you need to rededicate your life, if you need to let some things behind to, to really go after him, whatever it is, he receives us in that moment. You know, uh, Peter, when he met Jesus, Jesus got on his boat to preach to some people on the shore, and when he was done, he told Peter, he said, hey, let's go out and get, get a catch, catch some fish. And Peter says, listen, uh, whoever you are, no, he didn't say that, but he said, um, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught a thing, but since you said to do it, I'll do it. He's basically appeasing Jesus. Goes out, puts his net in, they caught so much fish, the boat started to sink. 
And Peter knew in that moment that this guy, this was God, that this was the Messiah. And in Luke 5, 8, look what it says. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I pray that that's not our heart today, church. We wouldn't say, go away, Lord. I don't want you. Thanks for the fish, but leave me alone. I just want your blessings. I don't really want you. Don't let your heart stay in that place. If that, if that is your heart today, I'm not here to condemn you. We're here to expose the darkness in our life so that it can be dealt with, so that we can really live free in our life. But a lot of us are excited when we think about Jesus coming in and making an appearance. Or we say, yes, Lord, I, my heart is open, bare for you. Come on in. Reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. Let me have one of those epic peak moments in my faith, Lord. I'm ready for it. Can I tell you? He does that for sure. But as a sobering reminder for all of us, if that's something we want, there's going to be some waiting. Waiting is a part of the life of faith. It is, in fact, it's an ordained part of the life of faith. And waiting is one of those things for us as Christians that we really struggle with. In fact, many people have walked away and abandoned their faith because they got tired of waiting. Because they believed the lie that in faith you don't have to wait. In faith you just declare it and it's done. In faith you just believe for it and you, you claim it and it's yours and it'll happen. And the promises of God are yes and amen. And we believe that and so when things haven't happened quickly, many, many people have chosen to abandon their faith, or at least live in the ritualistic, lifeless faith, just doing it and going through the motions. And church, the promises of God are yes and amen. But you know what? There are a lot of promises in the Bible about waiting. Lots and lots of them. I could think of about 20 off the top of my head, and I just put down two just very quickly for you to see today. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul tells the Galatians, he says, do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, everyone say, at the proper time. At the proper time. That means not today. That means you're going to wait. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 1 Peter 5 and 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Everyone say, in due time. You know what that means? Later. <laughs> He's going to lift you up later. There's waiting, and, and it just, it's on and on and on and on throughout the scriptures that we will have times of waiting in our life. But that's an okay, that's a good thing. It's just like I said earlier, when something becomes saturated, it becomes ordinary in our life. In those big moments in our faith, it's worth waiting for, church. They are worth waiting for, and God still does it. He continues to do it, and he will do it in your life as well. So, listen, I'm going to give you my, I'm going to give you, uh, my, my three points, and I realize it's already almost 12.30. I'm going to do this very quickly. It'll just take a few minutes. But I want to, I want to talk to you about the fact that when Jesus makes an appearance, how, what, the, what the effect of that is, or, or why he does it, or the motivation. When he appears in our life, it's for him first, it's for us, and it's for others. It's for him first, it's for us, and it's for others. So it's for him. He said to, he said to Peter, when he, when he restored Peter at the very end of my text verse, he said, follow me. Follow me. That's the reason he appeared to Peter, because he wanted him to follow him. Because if he didn't appear to him, Peter might not have followed him, because Peter was so down. He, was, he, he just messed up. He was as low as a person could go. Jesus appeared to him and didn't say, hey, I, Peter, I just want you to know your life's going to be really blessed. You're going to be rich because you love me so much. I'm going to make sure you catch more fish than anybody else. In fact, he told him just the opposite. He said, basically, you're going to die a martyr's death. Follow me. 
That's why Jesus appears. This is his first primary motivation to appearing for in our life every single time is for him first. It is for him first. In fact, church, everything in your life, everything in your faith that God does in your life is for him first. His death on the cross was for him first. It was to glorify him. It was, it, you get to reap the benefits of it, but it's for him first. Everything is about his glory first. It's about his purpose first. It's about his plan. It's about his fame. It's all about him first. And when I say, like, do you want Jesus to make an appearance in your life? Most of us would say, yes, praise God, amen, let it happen. But our mind immediately goes to that thing we want him to appear in, like a, a health situation, a relationship, our finances, something about just how we're feeling, our emotions, our anxiety, our worries. We want him to appear in those things to help us. But that shows our heart because it's not meant to be first for us. It's first for him. So when we want him to appear in our life, the best thing we can do is to start by saying, Jesus, I just want you to glorify yourself first. Lord, I want you to be glorified in my life. Now, here's what I would like to see. This is what, these are the things I feel like I need, but God, ultimately, I want you to be glorified first. That moves the heart of God, church, because that is what he wants. He wants his people to want him first. And that's a beautiful thing because that's why he's able to use un, less godly people than the super godly. That's why he was able to use someone like Peter was because Peter wanted him first. He wanted him. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter kept saying, yes, I love you. How many of you know that when Jesus asks us a question, it's not to get information for him. He knows. He's doing it for us so that we could know. Peter knew, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The reason Jesus was able to appear to Peter and use Peter even for the early church was because he wanted him first. And that's God's heart for each of us is that we would want him above all things. Him to be glorified, him to be made famous, and that it would be a testimony whenever he does show up in our life that it would be for him first. He also does it for us. When he appears in our life, he gives us, there's th things just change. He can give you rest in your situation. He can give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you perspective. He, every time he shows up, it does something for us too. And I praise God for that. I'm so thankful that he does things that, that move, that, that change our perspective in our life. You see, it's not always our first reaction when he does appear in our life to be excited about or to, or to even receive it because some of what, a lot of what we have in our life is deep-seated. It's deeply seated. So there's times he makes an appearance and he's, he's probing you, he's convicting you, he's showing you something, and it can feel not so great at first. You know, I mentioned last week at our Easter service that the gospel is offensive. The gospel has to offend our sin nature. It has to. For us to be able to give our life to Jesus, there has to be an offense there of realizing that I'm not enough, that I'm not good enough, that I am a sinner, that I'm in need of a Savior, that I can't live independent, but that I really need to be dependent on him. It's offensive, and, it can be, and when he makes appearances in our life, it can be offensive. I remember, I told you about when I read Romans 8, and it changed me. What I didn't tell you was that there was a couple times leading up to that that God was trying to show me about his grace. And I came out of a very, very religious background. And I was very religious, and I was a good boy, and I, did, I tried to do all the right things as much as I knew how to do. And when I started getting revelations of God's grace, and he was appearing to me and showing me his mercy and his grace, I was not happy. I was not happy at all. I'm, be, I'm exposing myself here, church. But what I'm telling you is that that spirit of religion does not want God's mercy on people that we don't feel deserve it. 
I didn't want him to be merciful to the people that I felt were bad people or the people that just lived and did whatever they want and, and lived on drugs and, and slept with everybody they could ever sleep with and, and drank every weekend and, and was fake and did everything wrong. I didn't want his mercy on them. I wanted his mercy on me because I was a good guy. And he started showing me, you know what? I want to show grace and mercy to those people just as much as I do you. In fact, you don't deserve my grace any more than they do. And when he started showing me that, it made me angry. I was, it offended me. You ever been offended with God? I was offended. But let me tell you, it was life-changing for me when he started revealing that to me. And when he revealed Romans 8, 1, that, that there's no condemnation, that the law of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. And, and the more I've walked with Jesus, the more I realize, you know what? I really don't deserve grace any more than anybody else. It is only by his grace, it is by his mercy, it is by his incredible love and his incredible sacrifice that I can even stand here and preach in the name of Jesus. I don't even deserve to be able to do that. The only reason I can do it is because of him and what he did. And that is a very freeing place to be. Now, when I see people that are struggling and I see people that are far from God, I don't want God to get them. I want God to save them. I want God to reach them. My heart goes out to those people. My heart is, is broken for the lost. And that's what, it, that's what God does when he appears in our life. He changes us from being about just ourselves to being about him and also his plan, his purpose for the people of this earth. Which brings me to the last one, which is that it is for others. When he appears to us, it is for him first, but it's also for us, and it is for others. And let me tell you, this, could, this is a whole sermon in and of itself. Just God's heart for us being his soldiers in his army. You know, when he appears to us, church, he's raising us up to be an army for him, not to fight against people that are not Christians, but to actually win people that are not Christians, to actually show the love of Jesus to the world, to be the light of the world, to be salt to the world, to make an impact in the world, to not let the world swallow us, but that we would shine our light. The Bible says that the light shines and the darkness cannot contain it. The darkness has to flee when the light comes into a room. It has no choice. It has no option but to flee when there's light. And that's what he wants for us. I, I love when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Did you, you notice that when Jesus said, do you love me? And he, he confirmed it three times. You notice he didn't say, okay, good. I'm glad you love me. Now listen, don't ever deny me again. That's going to make me mad. And I need to make sure you, you read your Bible, even though there isn't one yet. Read it anyway. I want you to Make sure you, you tithe all the time. Make sure you're good to the widows. All those things are good things, but that's not what he said. You, do you, you find it ironic that he's restoring and reinstating Peter into the fold, and what is he telling him? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. When he appears in your life, church, one of the main reasons he appears and he, he lets his manifest presence be evident in your life, it is for others. When he does work in our heart, he's given us a testimony to share with others. It is never, ever, ever just for us. It is never, ever, ever even primarily for us. In fact, I would say on that list, I probably should have put for us last because it's for him first and then others, then us. That's what Paul says, that we are to consider ourselves less than others because God is raising us up to make an impact for his kingdom. I, I, in the, in the, the charismatic and the, the charismatic circles and the Pentecostal circles and the, the revival circles where you hear people talk about wanting to get wrecked, uh, that... That breaks my heart when I hear that because it's not about what God's going to do for us and us just being able to be soaking in our Holy Spirit hot tub. It is so that we can be changed, so that we can be effective for his kingdom, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. How do you think that gets done on the earth? Through you and through me. 
That's how he affects his kingdom is through his people. He's building an army. We are soldiers for Christ. We are, we are part of a battleship when we get saved, not a cruise ship. And we are designed to be effective for his kingdom. And that's why he appears to us in our life. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I hope I didn't feel like I was rushing through it. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to trim it down a little bit today with all these baptisms. It was beautiful. I'm thankful for it. And I, but I, I, want, I really want you to receive this word today, church. That he wants to make an appearance in your life. And he's going to. And he is. First of all, we have to make sure we're ready to even receive it. But secondly, we have to set ourselves up to know that we are putting ourselves in that place and in that position. I don't want anything in my life to hinder him showing up. I long for his manifest presence. I long for him to reveal truth to me. I long for him to speak words to me, to encourage me, and to have thoughts in my head that I know are from him and have dreams that I know are from him. I long for all of those things, and I hope you do too. I think, we, I think that's important that we are... Uh, understanding it and we are eager for it in our life but man the things of life can just swallow us up can't they those down times the the down times are sometimes just as tough as the good times as far as really focusing on jesus because there's always something to distract us and then you get in the the middle of that pie with the the ordinary and the everyday there we just get lulled to sleep so it's like everything in life is working against us unless we're intentional and making sure we're setting ourselves up and we're, we're pursuing him I want to encourage you. I, I want so desperately for New Hope to be a church where the people of our church are just so hungry for the Word of God. Where we are just making this a priority in our life, not because it's a religious, religious ritual or because you just know it's the right thing to do, but because we're hungry for God and we want to be hungry for Him and we want Him to speak to us. We want Him to appear in places in our life where we have those times where, you know, I know we're all going to go through trauma but where we have times where he's appeared to us and we can hang on that and know, I know he's real, I know he's good, I know he's faithful because I've seen him in my life. And that will sustain us in those times of difficulty and will encourage us in those times of the ordinary too. So I just ask you to receive this prayer this morning. You're welcome to come to the altar if you like, if you just wanna make a proclamation to him today, but I'm asking all of you to receive this today. Just open your hearts to him as we pray. Let him search your heart today. Don't let there be anything, any part of your heart that you will not let him shine the light on because all it does is hinder us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that it is transforming us. Lord, and that it is so real. God, thank you for your presence in our life, Lord. Lord, we thank you today that you never leave us, you never forsake us, that you do live in our heart. God, we're grateful for that. And Lord, we also long for those times of special appearances where you speak a special word, where we just know that it's different, where we hear that still small voice, where we can't even really explain it, but we just know it. I pray that you would do that in our lives, Lord. Help us to be patient. Help us to wait actively, where we're not just sitting around with our arms crossed, but we're actively waiting for you, God. Expectant eager for more of you in our life. As we sang today, Lord, more of you, Jesus. More of you in our lives. God, I pray you would shine your light in our hearts. Lord, we know that you are the, you are the safest place that we could ever be. And that when you do expose the sin in our life, Lord, we know that it's not to condemn us. It is to set us free. So Lord, where we have held back, where we may have hidden sin in our lives, Lord, 
God, help every one of us in this room and listening online and watching later, Lord, to, to bring it to you. Whatever that sin is, Lord, that we would bring it to you and lay it at your feet, knowing that you will not reject us, that you will not just tap your foot and cross your arms and tell us you told us so. But your mercy and your grace is absolutely insurmountable. You have oceans of grace that you're just pouring out in our lives. God, help us to come to you with our hearts open bare, laid bare before you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for resurrecting and for ascending back into heaven and that we will be with you one day for those of us that know you and call upon the name of the Lord. God, I pray for everyone here today or anyone listening under the sound of my voice that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that you would touch their heart, that they would know, that their eyes would be open, that the understanding of their heart would be open to see that they need a Savior. Lord, we know that we all are born into sin. There's none of us good enough. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But God, we thank you that you don't reject us. When we come to you, when we accept the work you did on the cross, and we believe that you are who you say you are, and we repent of our sins, Lord, we know that we are saved. So I pray you do that in all of our hearts, Lord. For those that have slipped away, that have backslidden and walked away, God, help them to come today and recommit their lives to you, Lord. We thank you that you always receive us with open arms, that you are the father of the prodigal son, that when we come back home, you are ready and waiting, and you will run to us and embrace us. We thank you for that today, God. We love you. We bless your holy, precious name, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we praise God today one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank the Lord.